G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. You might like to join into our conversation today as we count down the sleeps to Christmas. And this year, it appears that there's an even greater polarisation between those who want Christmas solely with the big man in the red suit and those concerned with some of the historic detail, some of the facts in the biblical accounts and what that means to our spirituality today. Well, there are those who want to dismiss the original Christmas as more myth than miracle. After all, in the modern secular age, is the virgin birth even possible? Could shepherds really see angels? And could wise men from the east really follow a star to find the Messiah? So how much of the Christmas story is reliable, founded in real history with archaeological evidence? Well, our special guest today back with us is Dr. Brendan Roach. He's the founder and president of the Bible teaching ministry called Acts. That's A-X-X. One of his central passions includes a focus on archaeology and having studied with some of the best biblical archaeologists in Israel, bringing to us a whole lot of great wisdom today. Brendan, a special welcome back to 2020. And Merry Christmas to you, Neil. It if we're is, allowed uh, to say Merry Christmas. I think we are. Look, I think we can say Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Christmas. Uh, we can talk about the virgin birth. We can talk about all of those really spiritual elements around Christmas time. And uh, as I mentioned in that infra- introduction there, there is a sort of a secularization that has gripped a lot of people and they wonder about the miracle and the amazing things that we understand from the Christmas story. How do you uh, how do you approach that? If someone says to you, oh, it's more myth than mystery, all of those things that you read about in the Bible. Well, I think that's a bit, it's a really common view where people want to you know, secularize everything, and and they're they're a little bit more inclined to believe in Santa Claus than 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 Jesus, which is you know quite interesting when they're denying a miraculous thing, but they're very happy to to get behind a Coca Cola image from the nineteen early nineteen hundreds. It's a bit weird, isn't it, Neil? <laughs> it is weird. Hey, when we think about miraculous things that happen at Christmas time, Brendan. Uh, is it even, I think, in the way that people appreciate miraculous things uh, to talk about? Now, here's, and I'll ask you if I'm allowed to say this, like the magic of Christmas that people often will talk about. Uh, oftentimes when I uh, reflect on magic, I talk about the stronger magic, the magic of God. Uh, but mm. in, in the way that people understand miraculous things, it's like a magical experience to think about some of those amazing things that happened at that first Christmas. Yeah, it's it's it, magical or mystical or miraculous. Uh, you know, it's, it is certainly... A powerful, a powerful time around the time of Christmas, and the and the story of the incarnation and the virgin birth is is one of the most powerful stories that we have in the whole of the Bible. And these things prophesied throughout the Old Testament. So we've got a thread of prophecy that 
anticipates and looks forward to a time when these miraculous events will happen. So the fact that there are miraculous events reported, uh, as we look back, uh, these miraculous events were forecast in prophecy. So you're looking at it from a whole bunch of different dimensions, which gives it all the more credibility. Yeah, it's it's prophesied in the Old Testament. It's it's re- it's recorded in the Book of Revelation. It's it's constantly referred to all the way throughout the Bible, and we and we see that miraculous intent. And it's it's interesting. We can look back and we can look at the Old Testament and go, oh, of course. But these were these were strange phrases, sayings that that sometimes people could you imagine just just imagine anywhere in any context in any time. Your fiance coming up to you and saying, "Oh, look! By the way, I'm I'm pregnant. There's no other man involved." Uh, you know, even in the, in the IVF world, you'd be going, "Well, I think I might raise my eyebrows at that one." But yeah, but so there was no way to possibly interpret prophecy in this way. It was the miraculous fulfillment of prophecy that we see in the story of the incarnation and the virgin birth. Interesting, some of the uh, the apparatus around the miracles, uh, the appearance of an angel uh, to encourage Mary and to encourage Joseph. As you say, getting that sort of news, uh, you know, they were, you know, overtaken. Uh, there's a certain sense in which God, in preparing all of that and appearances of angels speaking to people about these events, that was a sort of a, a necessary thing that had to happen. Oh, absolutely. Had to, you know, if I was Joseph, I would have needed probably three or four angels lined up in a row and the next day have another three or four. Uh, it's it's certainly so, so far at the realm of anybody's experience. You needed to have those miracles to ex- those angels to come and explain what was happening in that miraculous sense. And Mary, as a as a young girl, anywhere from the age of 12, 13, 14, 15, who had never been with a man, suddenly going through that experience, but someone who was very close to God, getting that revelation of what was going on, and Joseph getting that revelation as a mature man who knew exactly what was how babies are made. There's no, no, no. Uh, doubt in his mind but also getting that okay this is this is by god and there and there was references to that in the culture but certainly not in the jewish faith at that time isn't it amazing the way we're talking about the revelation of god here uh, that doesn't come in a comfortable circumstance as you say you've got a young woman who falls pregnant out of wedlock uh, you've got her uh, husband-to-be who's faced with, you know, will I marry this woman or uh, she's been unfaithful before we're even married here. Uh, Maybe I'll just, uh, you know, quietly depart out the back door and leave her be. Uh, But this miraculous occurrence hasn't happened in a squeaky clean type of a children's story. This is the adult story in all of this. There's a stigma around the parents, Mary, and then Joseph on the side, a stigma that, you know, we actually can relate to very strongly in our day and has related down through the generations. Yeah, and I think that's what we tend to do with this with this biblical account is we tend to put our culture on top of it with, you know, a society where, you know, young boys and young girls, teenagers, very young teenagers can 
are experiencing sexual activity and and different things. So I mean that the most you know young teenage pregnancies. So the most common thing that comes to our mind is, well, this is you know Mary's been fooling around with another with the teenage shepherd down the road and. And we put it into our culture and context, which is, was never in their culture and context of sexual exploration and fulfilling your own desires and all of that sort of thing. But there was a very strong spiritual culture that was going on. So engaging with the spiritual forces, the spiritual powers and understanding that was going on. So I think Mary and Joseph and those around weren't, number one, thinking, oh, she's just found some guy and had sex with him. They're going something spiritual's going on we don't understand it so that's the context of this ours is a context of morality theirs is a context of spiritual power that's going on in their in their world trying to understand it so when we come up to the issue of the virgin birth uh, this is one that so many will like to uh, gloss over or uh, they'll say well that just you know that just can't happen but when we're talking about the reasons why it had to happen, uh, perhaps the prophetic lead up to a young woman falling pregnant, not by a human husband, uh, but the child conceived by God. How do we fit that with our biblical understanding and uh, and recognize the miraculous nature of that, Brendan? Yeah, well, let's let's take take a step back to what we call the the incarnation, which is which is when Mary becomes pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually see the power of the incarnation where it talks about this wonderful phrase of the Holy Spirit hovering over her. So let's just completely remove out of the equation that there's some sexual encounter. Again, that probably says more to the way our minds work in this day and age than what really happened. And you've got the Holy Spirit hovering over Mary and a creative miracle occurs. Guess where else the Holy Spirit is hovering over and a creative miracle occurs? It's at the moment of creation. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters and there is a creative miracle, literally of creation, that occurs. So that's the context. It, this is as big as the creation of the world. This is only happens a few times within Scripture. This is what the incarnation is about. It's, not, it's, it's actually surprising supersedes and is greater than the creation of the world, but that is the context that the Bible puts it in. So you've got the divine and this connection to humanity. Uh, if you think of what the alternatives might be, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, a great hero appears out of uh, the blue and the uh, stature above everyone else and uh, I'm the son of God. Didn't happen anything like that because this connection with humanity wasn't just a verbal connection with humanity. This was a conceived uh, connection to humanity, uh, God as father, Mary as mother, and the child is offspring who is both fully God and fully man. Uh, getting into mm. deeper waters here, Brendan, but really a mm. lot of our theology comes back to this virgin birth. Oh, it, it absolutely does because of the nature of sin being passed down from parents to children. If we, if we had the, the, the normal procreation process of a mother and a father, sin is carried down. So the incarnation or the combination of Jesus being fully man and fully divine without sin, 
and that's that's the thing that doesn't get spoken about very much these days. We, we assume it, we understand it, but we have to explicitly state that Jesus was born without sin. And him being born without sin brings him into contrast to the rest of us because Mm. uh, sin has been passed down from generation Mm. to generation. And yes, there was a break in that sequence uh, with Jesus born sinless, but we're all still in the other boat, aren't we? We're all still born in sin. Uh, What does that mean for us, Brendan? Yeah, so we, we suffer from the consequences of the fall where sin has, has, has entered in. So what it basically means is that we need to be redeemed from sin. We need to be saved from sin. We need to be rescued. And so Jesus was the one who was pure and and needed to be a pure sacrifice offered in our place. So if Jesus had ever sinned, he wouldn't have been pure, but there's, he, there's no evidence that he ever sinned. So he remains the purely the pure and holy sacrifice for us so that we could be set free from sin. Uh, When we're looking at the way the narrative unfolds and we've got Jesus after his birth and, of course, before he really launches into his ministry, you've got his baptism. How do all Mm. of these things link together? Because somehow or other the theological way we think about Jesus and all of these facts that have built a system that leads us to understand him as the Son of God, uh, a lot of factors that we read about in the Bible all come together to help us understand what God is doing and what he's saying. Mm, there's the, the third occurrence of where the Holy Spirit is hovering over is at the baptism of Jesus. So we actually see Jesus the Son of God, we see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove hovering and we hear the voice from heaven. So it's also a great representation of the Trinity there at one moment, all doing their their roles in their particular functions. So we see at this point in time that we, the rest of us get an announcement that Jesus is something special, that Jesus is something different and that he has been set aside for a particular task. Doesn't give us the full story at that moment, but it really clearly separates him and gives us a great example of the Trinity right there at the baptism of Jesus. And so you can't approach the Christmas story without actually exercising a level of faith that recognises that there is a miraculous event that has happened uh, to piece together and to make sense of it and to you know put to rest that sort of secular mindset that we all have a tendency to have and say, oh, that's impossible. Actually, you've got to prepare yourself to recognise that the impossible has happened because it's a miraculous occurrence from God. Do you think, Brendan, that speaks strongly into our own hopes and expectations of our own lives and what we do in our relationship with God today, that the miraculous still happens and that he leads us? I think we absolutely have to keep the miraculous, uh, certainly, I would keep all the miraculous, but we can't denigrate or degrade the miraculous incidents of what happens here. So we have the incarnation, we have the virgin birth, This is absolutely key, core, fundamental to our belief. If we allow this miracle to break down, there's a a famous story, and I'm probably going to tell it wrong, of an Anglican church that was struck by, that the the stained glass window was struck by lightning when the archbishop declared 
in the church service at that moment that the virgin birth was not a miraculous event. Now I'm, I'm, I, I just go, well, who, who knows? You know, he's, he's probably the grace of God is it only struck the stained glass window maybe in that. But I think it is absolutely core. It is just as core as the resurrection. The virgin birth is core because Jesus had to be sinless, Neil. And that story, and I'm not familiar with all the details of it, but that story is a very true one uh, where that cathedral is struck by lightning because the archbishop has denied the virgin birth. Uh, This is an important element because it's not just people outside the church who are at risk of denying the miraculous. People also within the church, we've got a tendency to to doubt and not want to give God glory in all of this, but God is deserving of all the glory because what has happened was a miraculous event. The Bible creates this beautiful mosaic of of stories and narratives and miracles, and they're they're all for they're all there for a purpose and a reason, and that and the virgin birth and the incarnation is is so key. It is the culmination, as you said before of the the prophetic in the Old Testament. It's coming together. It is setting the stage. And when you're reading the Gospels, you're going, hang on, this guy's a little bit special. And you don't realize how special it is until you get to the end of the Gospel story. Well, it is a very special event. Sometimes we underrate it, sometimes because we've not heard a conversation like this in the lead up to Christmas before. But let's talk through these issues, Brendan, because uh, people often think of the Christmas story as more myth than history even. So let's talk some of the historical things. The event is an undeniable event. Uh, We have so much evidence. Give us some insight here into how we look at the event historically. Well, when we actually have a look at the event, we we start to see it. Actually, we go to the Church of the Nativity, for example, and the Church of the Nativity is built over a cave in Bethlehem that was identified very early on in 326 AD as the birthplace of Jesus. So this is historically, there's as far back as you can possibly go that this is the actual place of the birth of Jesus. It is absolutely phenomenal. When when I take people to Israel, it's one of the places where I say, you can be as guaranteed as you possibly can through fact and evidence that this is one of the genuine historical sites where Jesus was. That's very good to know because I know there's a number of alternative sites that people like to take you to. So we'll, uh, we'll go with that one, the, the Church of the Nativity. Hey, the date, um, it's pretty well... Uh, assumed by most who've done a little bit of research into this, that uh, the 25th of December is not the actual Christmas Day. Uh, what's your insight here? Yeah, um, there was a there was a Jewish man at the beginning of the, about 100 years ago, who came out with an article saying that it was, you know, he was a, he was a Messianic believer and said it was the 25th, was an accurate date, so a lot of people have grabbed onto that. But that, through some fairly simple analogy we we know that it's it's not in december um you're not having shepherds out in the field in the in the middle of winter um it's it's just it's it's linked to probably more closely to the winter solstice which is around the 22nd which is a very 22nd of december which is a very significant spiritual astronomical event and so what happens is 
let me let me give you a modern day analogy. I think the the biggest issue around Australia becoming a republic is people say, I don't want to lose the Queen's birthday holiday. <laughs> and that's been the way it's been throughout culture and history. If you have a holy day, which is what a holiday is, a holy day, it gets taken over by the next religion. You don't kick it out because the people are going to revolt if you take away their holy day. So in Europe, when Christianity became dominant, they took away the winter solstice celebrations and they said, hey, we're, we can put the, the birth of Jesus in and that will make everybody happy. So does this tie in with the thoughts that some people have uh, of Christmas, the date that we celebrate the birth of Jesus being connected with, uh, you know, pagan celebrations and such things when you talk about the winter solstice? Is this where that confusion comes? Yeah, and I think that we see a lot of that, whether it be Christmas tree decorations, certain myths and stories and celebrations that, that people have a, have a part of their, their traditions are basically traditions that have been locally picked up through innocent celebration or through mystical events like the winter solstice. So well, the way I look at it is a Christmas, you know, Christmas tree is a tradition. We, we love having a Christmas tree in our, in our house. We've got a couple of um, people. One of my daughters is a, a fanatical Christmas decorator and and it brings enjoyment, it brings laughter, it brings a smile to people's face. It's a way that went past someone's house and they had a huge nativity scene up on their up on their roof. It's a way to proclaim the gospel as well. So it just puts a smile on, on people's face. I don't think there's any deep, dark spiritual problems that we have with some of those traditions, as long as you feel comfortable in your own heart about those things. Coming up to news, a quick call just before the news. Let's take a call from Jason in Melbourne. Hi, Jason. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? Very well. Brendan and also Neil, I'd like to say that I believe in the virgin birth and what Jesus did. And I think you're doing a great job, Brendan. <laughs> well, well done, you, Brendan. <laughs> and uh, and th this is this is a very. Uh, let's just talk about the profound nature of simplicity here, Brendan. As mm. Jason says, I believe in the virgin birth. Uh, you've got a choice to say I believe it or I don't. Uh, the choice would be I believe it because it's miraculous. Any quick thought here because we're about to go to news? Yeah. Again, just keep those foundations of of miraculous belief within your heart, within your spirit. Why? because then you'll be praying for a miracle in your life to occur or in your family's life to occur. The reliability of the biblical narrative, this has got to be one of the biggest evidences because people haven't been able to prove distruth in there, have they? The biblical narrative, how do you describe that as uh, as we look about uh, at the, the evidence for Christmas? Yeah, the biblical narrative is very solid and consistent across the Gospels. It's also very solid and consistent throughout the, the Old Testament prophecies. There's no inconsistency. Some people will try and bring out, for example, saying the virgin birth just meant that she was a young woman. Uh, but it, it, it actually has nothing to do with that. It's a clear, you have to go through many hermeneutical misinterpretations to actually get to the point where you think that, oh, this is just a description of her as a young woman, whereas actually it is a very clear description of her being a virgin that's why she's so astounded by it. She's not astounded by being a young woman. She is a young woman. That's not confusing to her. 
So so those sort of you actually have to hermeneutically, which is which is a nice big Bible college word for interpreting the Bible. You, we need to misinterpret the Bible over and over and over again to come up with any other interpretation rather than one of the incarnation and the virgin birth. And when you've got archaeologists in the nation of Israel and they're uncovering continually all sorts of mm. evidence that supports the biblical narrative, perhaps there's more mm. archaeology going on then than, than has ever happened and uh, it's all mm. affirming the Bible. How do you describe those sorts of things happening with archaeological uh, digs and discoveries? Yeah, I mean, even was was reading up on some archaeology just this week and they're actually going back and they're re-sifting old archaeological digs. They, you know, they, they call them dumps and they've dumped all the soil there and now they're going back and they're, they're finding so many more things that they'd missed because of the, the technology and the things that they're finding over and over and over again confirm names in the Bible, confirm events in the Bible, confirm the culture of the Bible, confirm the, hist- the, the historical accuracy of the Bible. It's just over and over and over again overwhelming and you have to work pretty hard to actually uh, try and say that it doesn't fit the biblical accounts. Okay, let's let's move you, Brendan, from uh, archaeological digs to uh, something maybe uh, astrophysics here for a few moments, because the star, <laughs> the star that the wise men from the east followed to find the Messiah. Uh, mm. How do you describe the way they did that? Because even in the Bible, they're des- described as astrologers, aren't they? And that's different to astronomers. Uh, but what are your thoughts here about those wise men from the East? Yeah, and I, and I think this is, you brought out a good point. So let's lay the foundation. So there's astronomy, which is the study of the stars. It's not spiritual. It's just there's a star in the sky. That's its name. That's its path. And then you've got astronomy, which then puts a spiritual interpretation on that. So what we have is we have a group of men from the East who are described as wise men, meaning they're they're learned, they're educated, they understand. If you're in the ancient world, you're, you're looking up and you're seeing the planets and the stars move and you're trying to figure out what's going on as you're lying there under the stars. So these men... And, and the, the ancients around the time of Jesus actually had a phenomenal amount of knowledge as to what was actually going on with uh, astronomy, with what's happening in the stars. Right? And also they had a spiritual interpretation. The Egyptians thought that the sun was carried through the, through the, through the, through the sky on a chariot, so to speak. So that's the foundation. So let's understand that we're not saying that the Bible is endorsing the spiritual side of what these guys were doing. But the Bible is endorsing that these guys knew the patterns of what was happening in the stars and in the sky at that time. Now, you have your own nativity set, and you've set it up just a little bit differently to what uh, ordinary mortals like uh, myself and all the other (laughs) listeners do with a nativity set. And, of course, uh, I think this is important, by the way, and it has been part of our family since our children were little, uh, that we always set the nativity set in place just after we've set up the tree so that we've got this focus on the baby Jesus in the manger and the reason for the season is because of the birth of Jesus. But you... You've got a little bit of a twist on your nativity set. Yes, I was uh, when I was studying archaeology in Jerusalem. I I came home and I thought I'd been away for a while, so I better bring some decent family gifts. And so I'm going through the markets and I'm looking at the nativity sets and and uh, 
wasn't really going to buy them. And then as anybody who's been there, as I got further and further away from the shop, the price got cheaper and cheaper. And uh, eventually I went in and, and bought them. And I said, but there's, I got one condition on buying these nativity sets. I think I bought three or four of them. And, uh, and I said, I need a fourth wise man. And the guy looked at me strange and he said, what do you, what do you mean you need a fourth wise man? I said, no, no, don't, don't worry about why I just need a fourth wise man. So he ran out the back and bought extra wise men and put them in the nativity set so that when anybody, and I gave them to, to, to friends and family. And when anybody comes around, you will see a fourth wise man in my nativity set. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say there was three. So I've got the fourth one. So people ask the question, why have you got a fourth wise man in your nativity scene? I have a fourth wise man because there was three gifts. No, and that's where we get the three from, the gifts. But there wasn't. So I like to challenge people. And let's, let's actually remember what the Bible says, not what tradition tells us, not what the, the wonderful nativity story will tell us in church, but what's actually going on. So it's my little cheeky sense of humor to to poke and prod people a little bit to actually, let's read what the Bible says about these things. Now that you've told us that, there'll be a run on Wiseman down at Kmart today. So. <laughs> don't, go stealing the, don't go stealing the extra Wiseman out of someone else's nativity scene. <laughs> someone else has got a, an excuse to tell the biblical narrative story because they've only got two Wiseman in their set. That's it. Okay, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Alex is in Melbourne. Hi, Alex. Welcome along. Hello, uh, Neil, and your guest. Yes, as far as understanding God's word, it's we need God's wisdom, of course, and counsel. Uh, and there's a good passage in uh, Psalm 138, uh, verse 2, and there's a passage there that says, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, that's talking about Jesus... And God the Father is giving the word to us through Jesus and uh, that to us the word is much more important, well, not much more, but is more important to us than actually the name of Jesus. So that's telling me we have to be very careful how we read and understand God's word because, well, we can do this in the name of Jesus and we can do that in the name of Jesus but is it according to God's word? And that's very important. That anyway, that's all I wanted. To uh, say. Alex, interesting, an interesting thought there. Uh, anything to to uh, to for a response for Alex there uh, from you, Brendan? Oh well, the, we we have the the example of of Jesus. We have the name of Jesus. We have the Word. We have the Father. We have the Trinity. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have them all, and we're, and they're there to be used in equal measure and with equal respect. Alex, good insight. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a burning question around the Christmas story. Hey, let's talk through Christmas story and some of the places and customs around that time because I mentioned in the introduction you know, the shepherds in the fields, uh, and they're all of a sudden confronted by a whole host of angels who are, uh, mm. you know, who are uh, appearing to them at night. Uh, these sorts of things, as part of the Christmas narrative, they actually do have an important place, don't they? Yeah, I think with the 
With the shepherds, again, we particularly, in, I think, in Australian culture, we're not perfect, but I think we have a very egalitarian culture. We, we have a great deal of respect for people, no matter what work they do, whether they be a, a, what some might consider a lowly job compared to a, a high job of prime minister or a CEO or something like that, or an athlete or something that we respect. But I think we go back into the in the culture of the day and shepherds were very much one of the lowest of the food chain. So they were they were seen to be untrustworthy. They were seen to be unreliable. They were, you know, if you're taking a job where you're out in the field for three months, and probably not many people want to have that that job, for example. So, you know, we see that with David, that he was the lowest of his family and he had that job of being a shepherd. So, again, right here in the gospel message, we're actually seeing, what are we seeing? We're seeing shepherds. We're seeing this message is for the low. We're seeing the Magi. This message is for the foreigner. We're seeing King Herod coming and going with his message. It's for royalty. It's for everyone. And that message is in, inbound right here, right at the beginning, that Jesus is for everyone, regardless of status or society. And Jesus here today, not only for the lowly, but also the elite, as you say, a cross-section of all of the different classes, you might say, in society. Taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Neil in Melbourne. Hello, Neil. Welcome. Hi. Um, yes, it's uh, my confusion I've had is so many uh, Christmas scenes have wise men. And I'm sure that was could have been a couple of years later than the Christmas story itself. Like they, uh, and it's probably more than three, because the whole of Jerusalem was troubled when all these wise men turned up, and uh, going going across a um, desert would not be safe. And uh, King Herod uh, had all the baby boys uh, who were under two wiped out. Um, so. I think you must have been getting close to two years old. That's a really good thought, Neil. Let's get a thought or two here from Brendan, because sometimes we feel like, and, uh, you know, in our nativity scenes, the wise men are there and there's Jesus in the manger, but uh, this timing is not quite right. Uh, there's a little bit of license here in the way that those nativity scenes work. What are your thoughts here for Neil? Yeah, I, I think Neil's brought up a, a good point here. Of course, the, the magi, the wise men, weren't, there at the birth they came at a later point in time and we, we can't be exactly sure of the the timelines and the and the dates but again we've got the the destruction of the the young male children under the age of two and some people even ask the question well why isn't that more you know if someone's created this infant side of and they, we estimate that there would have been at least 20 male children under the age of two in bethlehem well it goes more to the fact that herod was a, was a paranoid ruler who actually killed lots of people for lots of different reasons and children didn't even make it into the history books, not when you're going out and killing your own sons, going and killing someone else's doesn't really rank. So, so yes, they're not there, but they are there somewhere within the first, I would say probably few months, but absolutely uh, in the first couple of years. Uh, Neil, in Melbourne, uh, did you have something further to add? Uh, don't, don't want to cut you off there. You had something else that you were about to say. Yeah, I was sort of uh, thinking that and the star stopped at the house where the child was, not at the like the hotel or wherever. So it sounded like they'd already moved from the Bethlehem manger scene. 
All right, so when the star leads the wise men from the east, uh, and this might be sometime after the birth, uh, above the house where uh, where Mary and Joseph were there with the baby Jesus. Uh, your thoughts here, Brendan? Yeah, well, that, that sort of takes us into what what's going on with the star. What's the, what's the history of the star? And, of course, because of... Uh, astronomy, we we actually can track movements of planets and stars and alignments and things like that fairly fairly carefully. So we uh, we we've got three ideas of what happens with the star. You've got the the church uh, play with someone dragging the star across the sky, and it's literally like a guiding light, and it's a miraculous type of event. Um, that's probably, although I'm a great believer in miracles, I, and that certainly would have got people's attention. I think that's fairly unlikely that that would have been what had occurred. Remember that we've got the Magi who are following this star. The second or next possibility is what we call a supernova. And there's certainly recordings of supernova explosions, uh, that occurred somewhere around the fifth to the seventh BC. So that could have been what the, the Magi were looking at. But, and, and then there's the more one that links in with the more traditional story, which is the comet, which is leading them. But when you look at a comet or a, a supernova, they're not pointing in any particular direction. Then you've got what we call planetary alignment. And you've got the alignment of planets, which actually pointing to the region of Bethlehem. So this is, I can talk a little, I want to talk specifically a little bit more about that. But uh, I think it's important for us to realize who are the people who received the message. The people who received the message were the Magi. So they would have received it in a way that they could have understood. Wonderful stuff. Neil in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Just before we take another call, of course, the star, you could even argue the star, led the Magi to Herod because they went to Herod looking for the king. That alerted Herod and, as you say, a paranoid leader and uh, as king in his own little territory, uh, very paranoid about the uprising of another king, decided to order the the death of all of those children under two, uh, so the slaughter of the innocents. This is more of an adult part of the story, isn't it? Because we sometimes don't want to reflect oh. on that, but but Herod was bloodthirsty in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's one of, one of the parts of the story that that I want to bring out, which I sort of skipped over a little bit with the the birth of Jesus. Is I've I've done some sort of reflection while I've been in the in the cave of the nativity praying, and it certainly infant mortality was running at about 25%. So less than over 25% of children would die before they reached the age of two in the ancient world. And it just fascinates me or just how God allows his son to come as an infant in a very precarious way, infant mortality, being chased by Herod, being financially insecure, being a refugee, you, you name it, yet Jesus, it, God allows Mary and Joseph to protect. And I came up with the, with the idea and the phrase, fragile yet strong. And you know, babies are like that. They're, they're incredibly fragile. Things can go wrong, but at the same time, they're incredibly strong and resilient in what they're able to do. And I think that's 
a, a great metaphor, a great message of what the gospel is. It's incredibly fragile, but strong and powerful. It can be cracked, it can be broken, but it's also incredibly resilient. And that's an important message that comes out from the birth of Jesus. He doesn't send Jesus as a fully mature man at the age of 30, ready to rock and roll with all the knowledge of the universe in his brain. He brings him as an infant who is raised by Mary and Joseph the way that we're all raised and then learns about the word of God and launches out into his ministry. Let's take another call. George is in Sydney. Hello, George. Welcome. Yes, hello. George, what are your thoughts? Um, I like the the number 316, 316, which reminds me of John 316. That's a very nice number. Um, with the nativity, I'm with that 100% that uh, the virgin birth, uh, you have to believe that if you're going to be a Christian, to my understanding. And But about the birth of Jesus, I really believe that will happen in the time of September, around there. Uh, I come from those places. I come from a place called Cyprus. And I lived in a village a little bit, I born a little bit back in time, I should say, uh, where I remember the, my grandfather, we have to gather his crops and everybody else. And uh, at the end of the crops, we'll have our village fair because everybody had to gather the crops so they can be able to be free from their works, also have the money or the crops to trade or to barter with. And, and, and at the same time in Israel, it would have been even more because most people, they will probably work with agriculture and whatever they have to do with the crops. And it has to be at the end of the crops. Otherwise, it would have been too late in winter, not good to go out in winter. And to do the census, they have, people have to be free of their jobs. That's my understanding. Mm. George, should be there what a blessing it is. Uh, what great insight. Uh, a little bit like uh, taking a call from ancient times because uh, George, having grown up in that area around Cyprus and uh, where things are still done in a more traditional agricultural way. Uh, George, just wonderful thoughts there. Uh, Brendan, what are your, what's your response for George? Yeah, I think, I think George brought out some, some very important points. He actually brought out the census there as well. You know, you've got the crops, you've got people during that harvesting season. That, that's when you've got to be working hard to get that crop in. It's not sitting on the supermarket shelves being refrigerated. If you don't get the crop in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rot. So once you've done it, there's a big celebration, there's a big party, and you're free to be able to go about and do other things like return for the census and, and do different things like that. So, yeah, very, very important insight from someone who's lived in the region that we're looking probably somewhere around September, October for the more logical more logical day. I think most people are, are fairly consistent on that now, but I'm happy to celebrate on the 25th of December, Neil. Wonderful. George, thank you so much for a great insight. Let's take one more call. Time's running short. Anne is in Adelaide. Hello, Anne. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a couple of points. One is that um, I've recently learned that Mary, uh, that all Jewish girls were uh, told that they might be able to um, be the mother of the Messiah. And so I believe that Mary would have been humbled and honoured more than uh, shocked and astonished because um, all girls had hoped, Jewish girls had hoped that they would be the one to be the mother of the Messiah. 
my other point is that um, Brendan said he'd been in Israel. Maybe he can um, clarify this. But I heard that stables weren't separate little barns out in the middle of the field, but uh, were built under the house. Um, more if the house was built on a hillside, then the stable was sort of down the bottom, more like a basement. And so Jesus would have been born in the town, not sort of out where we have our little nativity sets where we have a barn and it's sort of set apart. Um, and my third point is that the Bible says that the angels said they didn't sing. And yet we always believe that the angels sing. Maybe because there was such a multitude, they sounded like they were singing um, with all their different variety of voices. Anne, you make a great contribution just in asking those questions there and uh, I hope you're making a few notes, Brendan. Uh, let's come back to Mary being honoured uh, after we talk about the the, uh, the the actual stable because we touched on that a little bit earlier. Uh, touch on the stable first, Brendan. Um, the angels singing and then we'll come back to Mary uh, being honoured to carry the Messiah. Yep, so animals were a valuable commodity and they needed to be kept safe, they needed to be kept warm. So that that would be in a location that was connected to the house. So you're right, there's no stable. And depending on the, the land, if we're talking about Israel, we're talking about rock everywhere. So we're not talking about basements generally, unless there was a naturally occurring cave or something like that. But no, they would be kept somewhere where the animals would be warm, and more importantly, safe, so they couldn't be stolen. Uh, so that, that sort of picks up on that point. Um, I want to talk about about Mary with uh, messianic expectation. Remember that nobody was expecting, nobody's expecting for this to for Jesus to be the Son of God. They were expecting him to be either be a prophet and a priest and be a spiritual leader, or they were expecting him to be a military leader and kick the Romans out. So of course, the natural birth was seen. This this could be anybody could be Messiah's mother. So we're not only talking about Messiah, we are talking about the Son of God. So it's a Son of God element that's important in this. Everybody could have been the mother of Messiah, but not everybody could be the mother of the Son of God. Anne, does that uh, respond to those points that you're making? Thank you so much for calling through and raising those. Thank you. My, my last point is that um, we don't have... Father Christmas at our house because only God is omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent. So only he knows whether you're being bad or good and to be able to do all things around the world. So we don't have Father Christmas, we have Father God. But he blesses us all year round, not just and that is just a wonderful point and uh, we might even have to finish up on this. But yes, ascribing to Santa uh, those sorts of uh uh, attributes that we understand come from the biblical narrative and we assign those to God. Anne's got a point, hasn't she? Uh, you've got to recognize who is omniscient in all of this. Yeah, and I think that's a, that is a, it's a, a quite an amusing point there, Anne. I, I like the naughty and nice reference. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that is, it's important that you, that you do that, that we keep the focus on uh, on what the the reason for the season is, and the point that you mentioned before about the angels singing. Well, I think Scripture talks a lot about angels singing, and that's probably where the reference to angels singing comes from. Maybe rather than a direct reference there. And in Adelaide, thank you so much for your call. And time has run out, Brendan. Uh, wonderful insights around the Christmas narrative. 
Um, just to touch on uh, the great ministry that you're leading, Acts AXX, uh, you've got ministry training courses and uh, people who uh, can't for whatever reasons of geography or cost or discrimination, uh, persecution sometimes around the world, you've got this global opportunity for people to participate in biblical training. Now, it's not just for people who are overseas in those uh, more difficult contexts, but Aussies can also participate here as well. Uh, what's your encouragement for uh, listeners right now, thinking uh, maybe I'll turn over a new leaf, maybe there's some sort of resolution coming for the new year, doing some biblical study? What, what's on offer at, at AXX that people can actually take advantage of? Yeah, just when we come around to the, to the new year and thinking about getting into the Word of God and maybe taking it as an opportunity to get into the Bible or understand a little bit about more more about God. We've got some short course certificates, which are very simple, straightforward to be able to do, which you can do at your own pace. Also, we've got what we call the Disciple Subscription, which is only $10 a month, where I've got my full courses on archaeology. So if you want more of this, we've got great footage of Israel that you can have a look at those as well and uh, just join in where you want. But I'd encourage you, you know, while you're, while you're praying about what you're going to do next year, pray about maybe getting into the Word of God. And while listeners are hearing just how inexpensive it is to go deeper into the Word of God, recognizing that you've got this inexpensive model set up for pastors around the world where we would understand that 95% of pastors around the world don't have any uh, Christian theological qualification and only 5% of pastors are adequately qualified. And so you've got a, a foot in the door in places all over the world in developing nations where the church is just blossoming and growing so strongly, growing so fast that we can't mm. keep up with producing enough leaders to lead by way of pastors. Amazing things mm. are happening. Here's how listeners can be in contact contact with Brendan and maybe look at some of those courses that you could be involved in yourself, axx.edu.au. And uh, to perhaps get involved next year, there's axx.global. So you might want to jot down those websites, axx.edu.au and axx.global. I hope I got that right, Brendan. Is that how they'll contact you? Yep, the uh, EDU one is for the Australians and the Doc .global is for our majority world pastors. So just go to the EDU one, type in, type in AXX. The Either one will take you to the right place if you just follow the links and click on them at the right time. Dr. Brendan Roach is the founder and president of the Bible teaching ministry AXX, A-X-X and uh, connect with him and uh Wonderful, again, and a number of times through the year, uh, we've had the benefit of being able to uh, tap into your wonderful, rich understanding of uh, issues around the scriptures and evidence and archaeology. Uh, Brendan, uh, the merriest, happiest and holiest of Christmas to you and your family and uh, God's favour and blessing on AXX for the new year. Thanks so much for being with us on 2020. Thank you, Neil, and a great blessing on the Ministry of Vision Christian Radio. You guys are doing a great job, and you're a great blessing as well, Neil. Have a great Christmas. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.